Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Oh, hi. If you like this show, will you leave a review for it wherever you listen to podcasts? You don't even have to write anything. Just some stars will do. It's one of the most effective ways to spread the word about us and one of the most meaningful ways to show your support for what we do. We are so grateful. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will give you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Happy Halloween, listeners. <laughs> 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 it's not Halloween here, so I couldn't tell you happy Halloween. So I'm just no, wishing our listeners please, a happy Halloween. Please. Do not wish me one. Do not wish me one. It's far too soon. Yes. I'm not ready. Yes. I'm just not ready. But we are going to take an opportunity to make a real bit of a Halloween special out of this one, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at least for the first handful of minutes. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't know that we've ever had a Halloween episode before. Not that, not we, that I trust my memory. Well, <laughs> we may have, but it's more that we weren't on top of our shit enough to realize that we were, were recording something that would air on Halloween. It was a programming opportunity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you and I share a an affection for the annual Ebro in the morning celebrations of Halloween, which just mostly involve like candy brackets. Yeah. So the Hot 97 morning show out of New York, Ebro in the morning, they always like they end up talking about candy for like 15 minutes. And it's always about what candy is good mm-hmm. and what candy is bad and what candy is underrated. And it'll be like they'll end up just talking about like Skittles for seven yeah. minutes and people being like, no, Skittles are the best. No, Skittles are terrible. Like it's that <laughs> mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And what a delight. Truly like, delightful. A delight. I always buy my Halloween candy really well in advance because the bodegas and drugstores all run out really early, I find, in New York. And so I've already bought the pack of like Skittles and Nerds and Smarties because I don't like fruity candy that much. And so I buy this. So you're fine having it around. Exactly. I, otherwise, I would have, if there were chocolate in there, I would have broken into it already. I would like to call dibs on your leftover nerds. Oh, they're all yours, I'm not babe. interested in the rest of it, but nerds I do. There really might be some like. like Laffy Taffy in there too. I don't know. It's all the it's all stuff you'd like. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I feel like when I went 
like shopping with my mom when she would be trying on clothes or whatever, Mm -hmm. I would be plied Mm -hmm. with sweets Mm -hmm. and it would be like, oh, you're allowed to like pick out a candy Mm -hmm. and sit here. And so I can picture myself sitting in the tiny chair in the fitting room Mm -hmm. with the strawberry grape half and half nerds just like dumping them (laughs) into my mouth while she was trying on Liz Claiborne pants. I love it. I was shocked to find out when we were talking about this the other day that you didn't organize your Halloween candy. No, I we would like come home and go through like sort it and go through it and trade and stuff. But I never really organized it. No, I I'm not, you know, someone who gets my rocks off organizing, but I (laughs) know I would come home and get out shoeboxes and I would organize it like home edit style. So it was really aesthetically pleasing and it would have to fit in perfectly like Tetris. And it was it was an important part of the ritual. And then the shoeboxes would live under my bed. And, you know, the stacks of Reese's peanut butter cups would make their way down over the time. You were allowed to keep them in your room. Yeah, it's it's surprising because we were not allowed to bring food anywhere outside the kitchen. And we were always in trouble for doing that. But, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I kept them under my bed. Like Claudia Kishi style. Yeah, but then again, I also had a trundle bed. So now I'm questioning my memory because <laughs> I'm like, there couldn't have been room under there. Yeah, maybe not. I d- but I did keep them in my room because otherwise, if they'd been kept in the kitchen, my brother and I would have been accusing each other left and right of stealing. Well, yeah, that's how, that's the life I live. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely got to keep them in my room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but the the organizing was because then you could also see how much you got of everything and be like, oh, my God, I got so many you know, peanut butter cups. Totally. And that, and we did do sorting mm-hmm. and did you did sort of do like an intake. Yeah. Uh-huh. A bit of like an intake. <laughs> like but then from there, yeah. it was just kind of like whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The thing that feels like core to an understanding of my childhood was that we were a full size candy bar household. I'm not surprised, but I am impressed. Thank you. It was it was like a real point of pride. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, we were a whole wheat bread household. Mm-hmm. We were a hundred percent juice mm-hmm. household, <laughs> but we were a full size candy bar household. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a bit of a like my mom likes spoiling in that mm-hmm. like in that like yeah, she all does. the neighbor kids yeah. way. And she also the philosophy seemed to be anything that you like can buy at Sam's Club, you do. Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy I share, but with Costco. Yeah. 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 Every year, if I'm remembering correctly, there were crunch bars. Mm, Okay. And then some years there was potentially like a Butterfinger bar Mm, mm -hmm. or a Caramello maybe Mm -hmm. paired. And I think that they were strong options Okay, because they're crowd pleasers. Yes. Especially a crunch bar. I feel like who doesn't like what's not to like? Oh, I just I dislike a crunch bar. You dislike a crunch bar? I don't think Nestle chocolate is good, but you like bad chocolate. Well, you like Claire, these are, this is for children. But I've never liked a crunch bar for this reason. The chocolate's never been satisfying to me. Claire, all of these <laughs> candies are bad. No, They're bad. not true. Because what what bars are good? Mars. Like Mars makes a good chocolate. Okay. Ne- I do th- a caramello, I think I maybe like. But I to be honest, I'm having trouble conjuring exactly what it is. It's the one where you break off the squares and they're filled with caramel. I mean, it sounds incredible, but I am—I don't actually know if I know what that is. You, yeah, you've encountered it at some point in your life. Yeah, caramel. Yeah, Google oh, it. Go- Google it. I recognize it. Okay, yeah. It's fairly messy because it yeah. never breaks cleanly, so you not. end up getting caramel all over yourself. Yeah, but God, I haven't seen I this just, in a while. It's a Cadbury. I, Once again, I don't love Cadbury chocolate, which is you know, it's a bit blasphemous, but the British chocolate in general, not my thing. 
I okay, so I always thought that these were strong options mm-hmm. again as a non-chocolate yeah. connoisseur yeah. because they weren't like a Snickers bar yes. or whatever that mm-hmm. felt like very overrepresented mm-hmm. in the mix mm-hmm. and these felt like something that were at least a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Totally. We came to the realization recently that we both dressed up as men Mm -hmm. for Halloween at least once. Mm -hmm. So the first time I was in third grade and I think I was a gangster Mm -hmm. or an old man or just like a child in a suit with a mustache. Like I'm not sure what the Mm -hmm. vibe was, Mm -hmm. but the costume was pulled from the dress up bin and my hair was like slicked back and I had like, you know, a grandpa hat on like some some sort of fedora. That's what I was. And... But I know it was explicitly a gangster because I was allowed for like one of the first times ever to buy a costume from the costume store rather than, you know, putting one together or making my own or whatever. And it was a gangster outfit. It was a pinstripe suit. It was a fedora. There was a toy gun, which I would never now allow my child to carry as part of a Halloween costume. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't know where I learned this. I burned a, a wine cork and used that to put a mustache on and I slicked my hair back. And I was wildly offended every time someone thought I was actually a boy while trick-or-treating. And I was because I was also in sixth grade, which is around that time. What I remember is that I was trick-or-treating with my best friend at the time who was like the hot girl. And I that I decided to go trick-or-treating with her and addressed as a man is just psychology that I did not care to examine at the time and now don't remember enough about it to to be able to comprehend. Where do we think the gangster thing came from? Well, that's a great question. Was it like Dick Tracy? Or uh, like, I guess that was yeah. a lot earlier. Goodfellas was also 1990, so that was a lot earlier. But it felt referential to those things. I mean, I guess that was an era of those kinds of films. N- yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, it was just it was, it a, was in the ether. It was around for sure. Yeah. When I was in sixth grade, I dressed up as Jim Carrey in the mask mm. and I think wore the same suit. Then I had the big green mask, like a store-bought big green mask. Mm. And it like, it would, I loved that movie so much. Mm-hmm. It would never have occurred to me to be the Cameron Diaz character, mm-hmm. like at mm-hmm. all. And I'm fairly charmed in retrospect that like, yes, in sixth grade that we both like, were like, I will dress up as this like male character and not be worried about like dressing up as something pretty. Yeah. I mean, I don't think sexy Halloween costumes had entered the chat at that point for us no. or for or for the culture. No, no, <laughs> no. But still, like even like pretty yes, Halloween totally. costumes would have. Yeah, yeah. I had been yeah. the idea of being a princess. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you know, gender be damned. Cam is going to be Glinda the Good Witch this year. So totally. We both loved this article. In Vox. Well, it wasn't even an article. It was a newsletter. No, it was an article. It was an article. Yeah. It was an article. It's called The Instagram Capital of the World is a Terrible Place to Be. Just because you can sort of afford to go somewhere doesn't mean you'll enjoy it. And it's by Rebecca Jennings. And it's such a good little tight piece that doesn't solve for something, but like speaks to this phenomenon in a way that I liked. So basically, she goes to Positano and she's miserable because it's crowded. And just because you can go to Positano does not mean you can access the things that make Positano really luxurious and enjoyable. And she writes 
what's most disturbing about being in Positano is the knowledge that you have been suckered and the realization that just because you have the means to go somewhere does not mean that you are owed anything more than the experiential equivalent of flying basic economy. She goes on to say, our cultural obsession with having the best of everything is a topic I'm endlessly fascinated by, but traveling is different from, say, spending hours on wire cutter or prowling Amazon reviews to find the best cat litter. Everyone who can afford to buy the best cat litter is likely going to end up with the same formula. The same can't be said for restaurants or hotels, which have limits on the number of people who can be there. A vacation is not, or at least shouldn't be, a to-do list, something to be optimized with meticulously timed reservations months in advance, though increasingly this is what travel is. Unless you've secured a reserved time slot, the must-see museums of Florence and you-have-to-eat-here pasta spots in Rome are inaccessible for those unwilling to spend hours in line or so cramped that being there is no longer enjoyable. And just as in other popular travel destinations flooded by wealthy tourists who benefit from the undercurrent of underpaid locals providing them a once-in-a-lifetime experience, it is soured by the fact that those who actually live there can't afford the luxuries they're peddling. I was like, ooh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, all of this. One of the things that I latched on to, and before I even got to the part in the article where she mentions Florence, I had been thinking about Florence because we had been in, my family and I had been in Florence earlier this summer visiting family. And... I didn't go to any of the museums or any of the major sites because you had to make reservations far in advance. And I was not wanting to have to plan my entire day about around being somewhere at a certain time. It's just not how I like to travel. And the question that I had is, was like, I know that this became a much more common and accepted practice during the pandemic, but is it sticking around forever now? Like, are I we so. always going to have to make reservations to go to a museum? Well, I mean, I would say when I went to Barcelona in 2019, Mm. you had to make reservations for absolutely everything. And like in a way that, you know, listen, I studied abroad in Barcelona Mm -hmm. in 2004, Mm -hmm. which is an incompletely different era. Like it's not there's nothing to compare. But I was just sort of shocked by the way that there were you had to have like timed entry at every Gaudi house and like all of that stuff. But even that stuff's a little different because I it's those places are a little bit smaller. They're a little bit fragile, you know, and so, but they're also just like flooded yes. in a way that they weren't before. Yeah, that's true. I think that's the yeah, thing that's, that's sticking true. around. That's and true. I think be, because there's just high, such a high level of interest in all of these like core attractions mm-hmm. of a place, I think we might be stuck with, you know, buy your tickets a week in advance for the Coliseum forever. I mean, I got to say also it's good business for them and like good yeah. for them to be able to manage and secure income in a more sort of manageable way. Yes. But it's just not how I want to And also, okay, one more thing. Mm -hmm. One more thing to add to this. I think because we're so, we're much more used to ticketing on our phones now and having electronic delivery, it it works in a way, exactly, Mm -hmm. that it just didn't make as much sense 10, 15 years ago because there was no delivery mechanism for this. Yeah, we couldn't have. traveling, you didn't have like a printer to print shit out. Yeah, you couldn't have done that when we were kids, for sure. But I I found it just like, I immediately was like, "Mm, not going to do it. I went to the less popular museums that, you could get same day entry and didn't have to reserve it so far in advance because I just didn't want to have to plan my life that way, which is a bummer to miss out on those things. But it just felt like I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. Well, it depends on what the thing is. Right. You know, like and who you are, because and if you've seen it before, and if you're going to have an opportunity to see the David again, you know, those things are of varying importance to different people. And how right. Exactly. And how important it is to you to see the David versus like spending time in Florence. For sure. For sure. Even restaurants. I was like, I just don't know what time I'm going to eat and who we're going to be eating with the one night. So I don't I don't want to have to book it so far in advance. And, you know, there's certain things like that feel worth it. But we 
ended that trip in Milan. And as we've testified, <laughs> we both, <laughs> I like fell in love with Milan. And I, in thinking about this article, I realized that I think part of it was the contrast with Florence where I didn't have all of that. Well, A, the crowds, which were a lot, but B, the necessity of planning any sightseeing so far in advance and in a really specific way. And it felt like part of the charm of Milan was getting to observe a way of life versus a tourist destination. And that was mm -hmm. part of what I was mm -hmm. so charmed by is just seeing all of these people in their element and living their lives and seeing how they ate and dressed and spent their time and went to work. And that is something I really like about traveling is just seeing how other people live. And I think in a place like Florence or Positano, you don't really get that. Yes, yes, yes. When I went to Porto recently, I was just really stunned by how touristy the old parts of the city mm -hmm. had gotten since I was there for the first time in like 2014. And we stayed closer to the like hub of the city than I had before. And I mean, I think it's hard because it's like I'm the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm like I'm an American traveling to like a European city with uh, and like other Americans are traveling to the same European city and, you know, we're reading the same travel and leisure story or whatever mm -hmm. about it. And so, uh, you know, it's like hard to feel like, God, it's so crowded. It's so busy when like I am the crowd. <laughs> right. But then it's also it was equally surprising to basically walk six blocks in any direction and be like, oh, like there aren't crowds mm -hmm. here. It's just like everybody centered around this like nucleus of activity, these same places, these like set restaurants, these set, you know, places to take Instagram photos, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It all just feels like we, we've all gotten the same like Disney fast pass yeah. to get on all of these mm -hmm. rides. I get a little confused with this narrative about the death of the monoculture because I'm like, sure, we're not all watching Seinfeld at the same time, but we all are going to Positano and the one restaurant in Positano, right? And we're like, everybody's in Italy this summer and, and that's on Instagram. And so I actually don't feel like there's a death of a monoculture. And of course, we all live in these specific echo chambers and some of those echo chambers are totally different. But yes, I think that was what was so appealing about Milan in contrast to Florence was that feeling of just like, oh, we're not all going to the same place here. I get to observe how people live. I get to just enjoy the city on its own terms versus somehow having FOMO for a place I am in. Yes, 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 yes. I really loved a lot of parts of Porto. And yeah, and I would like definitely go back to Porto mm -hmm. again. I think I would just like plan my trip differently mm -hmm. and stay on the outskirts of things and just, I think, mentally prepare for it having become a tourist destination. But then I also, you know, I think I really like being in a place that that where I don't feel like I'm like just surrounded by people who are like coming to do the same thing mm -hmm. or like coming to be tourists, mm -hmm. I guess. And so we spent a couple of days in the Vino Verde region. And I think that kind of small destination setting or this like non-city mm -hmm. setting is fun because in part because there just like aren't that many recommended things. Yeah. Like you can go deep on the internet, which I definitely did mm -hmm. to try to figure out what restaurants or what this or what that to do there. And you might surface one or two places, but then you're a little bit left to your own devices in a way that's like fun mm -hmm. where you're like, I don't know, like we're just going to like end up at this random place and we're going to have this amazing outdoor meal that I haven't already seen nine other people have on Instagram. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's like delightful in a very different and like often much more satisfying way. Listen, I, some of my favorite vacations are really busy, intense cities where you have to plan it out like Tokyo. But I also yes. want to sprinkle in the random town in 
Rhode Island where there is truly nothing to do because that is a different type of vacation or going to the beach or going to the mountains where it's just like there is nothing to do except enjoy your surroundings and find the yes. one place that has decent food. Something else we really wanted to talk about on this episode is fandom mm-hmm. and like yeah. I don't like fandom and costumes and like a little bit back to the top, a little bit back yeah. to dressing up because we both went to concerts recently where mm-hmm. we got dressed. Shocking nobody. I went to a Harry Styles concert when he was at Madison Square Garden. It was it was a delight in every way possible. But it's the delight started with me going to a one of those pop-up Halloween stores to get procure boas and whatever else felt appropriate. And when I walked in and asked for boas, the woman behind the counter was so proud to tell me that they there were you couldn't find boas anywhere in New York and that they were the only store who had them. And I didn't immediately make the connection that it was because of Harry Styles. I was like, it could be, but also who knows? You know, who knows? There's a supply chain crisis still going on, so who knows? And then when I got within blocks of Madison Square Garden, I was like, oh, this is the it's reason for the shorts related. And yeah. that was not even because I saw so many people wearing the feather boas, but it's because there's just trails of boa detritus all within like a several block radius of Madison Square Garden. And it's honestly beautiful. It's like when you see after New Year's, like Mardi Gras. Yeah, it's like there's confetti, but instead <laughs> it's just colorful feathers. It was beautiful. And it, people really got dressed in a way that was so joyful, happy-making, delightful. It set the mood. When everybody is there dressed in a certain way, everybody feels like friends. So it just opens up conversation. Well, you're like part of the same in crowd. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it was the closest I'd ever felt like to understanding any sort of convention, right? Like a Star Wars convention or a, what a, any type of fan Comic-Con. convention. Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where I was just like, oh, we all get in this building and we look at each other and very easily signal we are the same in this way. And yeah. because of the Harry Styles, you know, ethos in general, everybody was just so kind and warm. And it was truly, I mean, I think he's amazing. I enjoy his music, but the fans were such a big part of the experience because everybody's just talking to each other and embracing each other and so happy. I heard somebody describe a Harry Styles concert as like being in the women's bathroom of, at a bar at 2 a.m., which is totally accurate. It's just Everybody is cheering each other on. You're talking to strangers. You're getting way too close with strangers way too quickly. Everybody's like starting points really were their outfit. And I remember standing in line for merch at some point and the girl in front of me was giving her boyfriend shit for not dressing more on theme. And then the girl behind me was standing by herself, but then was talking to two girls who she had just met about how her mom had given her a hard time about leaving the house and the outfit she was wearing. And they were completely defending her. They were like, no, I agree with your mom if you were going anywhere else, but when you're going to Harry Styles, it's okay. Like it's okay at Harry Styles. And it was just really cute and charming. And then at some point, another mom came up to me and my friend to commiserate about being the oldest people there, which was, you know, a moment. It was just, it was, it was so delightful. I loved it. I watched this very charming reel of this woman, Paula Mathe, getting dressed for an Austin Harry Mm -hmm. Styles show. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just like such exuberant content. And she her like little line at the end was, I am doing the most. I am wearing color. I'm wearing prints. I'm mixing metallics and I'm not apologizing. I mean, yes, that's the vibe. There were a lot of mother daughters doing it together at the concert, which was very cute. And there's I there's a really cute TikTok of a dad who went all out with his teenage daughter. And then Harry Styles sees the dad in the audience and is like, yeah. Did your daughter pick that outfit for you? And the daughter's like, no, he did it himself. And she's so proud. And it's just, there's also a really good New Yorker lookbook 
of that, you know, is interviews and portraits of people. And there is a father daughter duo in this lookbook that is also quite charming. It just it, it's a really special kind of joy and magic. So I went to a different concert recently mm-hmm. that I got dressed for. I saw John Party and Haley Witters and Lainey Wilson, who are like all country musicians mm-hmm. and John Party's pretty big. And Haley Witters and Lainey Wilson are both like up and coming female artists who I really like. And I saw them at Pier 17 at the Seaport in, in New York. And I like cannot say enough nice things about this venue. I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with it. Whenever it comes up, I have to give like a strong pitch. It is on the roof. Mm-hmm in the seaport, on the water. It has views of both bridges. It just feels extremely New York. And you can tell that when the performers are up on stage and the fucking sun is setting behind the bridge, they like, they feel like they're in New York. And then I get emotional about it and like tear up on their behalf (laughs) because they're just like, wow, I'm playing this like amazing show Mm -hmm. in New York. It's a country show, which is like such a rare thing in New York. And part of what was really fun is that on the walk from the subway, which is basically like in the financial district. So you're like taking the AC to Fulton Street and like walking like there. You could tell exactly who was going to the show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like exactly. It was like, there were so many cowboy boots. There were suede fringe jackets. There were cowboy hats, like the whole thing. I wore skinny jeans pulled from the bottom of the pile, Mm -hmm. like tight tucked into white cowboy boots that I've now owned for like nearly 20 years Mm -hmm. and like really break out at the events. And I like took the subway there and I showed up by myself and I was just like, oh, like, right. The experience of like walking around in like white cowboy boots in New York is like a real thing that Mm -hmm. I hadn't really processed. Mm -hmm. And in general, country shows in New York, people like get dressed for them. And there's always this like sort of delightful irony. Like we live in the city. Mm -hmm. This is not the country. Mm -hmm. But so many people at this show came from, like, they're always like a ton of Texans. They're Mm -hmm. always like a ton of like people who maybe grew up in these environments, but now are New Yorkers. And so there are a lot of like cute gays doing like a rhinestone cowboy thing, Mm -hmm. some like old town road styling, like everybody's like doing a bit of a bit in a way that is very fun. And there were some like just very good, like fashion, like in general, it was like, there was like a good slip dress with a flannel and like a short like on a girl in her like 20s. And it just made me in general appreciate just like going kind of hard at these things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dressing up. Like dressing up. Embracing it. Yeah, the joy in just like creating an occasion. Yes. That like maybe moves beyond just the idea of the concert. I don't know, like you and I have talked a lot over the last couple of years when, you know, when we're like, we'll be in a store or something and try like find something we really love and being like, but where am I going to wear this? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what, what in my life like would yeah. require something like this yep. when we find something that we love and like, granted you don't need to buy everything you like. And like, of course, but there's like the lesson in the concert experience of just like, if it brings you joy, who fucking cares? Like make the occasion up yourself. We've talked about Rachel Tostian's newsletter, Opulent Tips mm-hmm. before. And I feel like it's kind of like embracing that attitude of like, why, why not just like have fun getting dressed? Mm-hmm. Why not make this just like an extremely joyful thing? And even back when we were talking about post-pandemic dressing, like LOL post-pandemic, late stage pandemic, mm-hmm. as I saw on Twitter this morning, mm-hmm. just like embracing color and fun. Mm-hmm. I think that attitude has felt a little harder recently when everybody's back in a like grind and like Mm -hmm. return to office and Mm -hmm. whatever mentality. And we're like, what do we wear to work? How does that, like, what do we wear to work functions? Like, how do we get dressed up for a meeting? But I think that that's part of why, I mean, I truly had a a deeply moving experience at this Harry Styles concert. And I think that that is part of why live music and, and events in general right now 
feel so crucial and critical and moving. And it is because it is harder in our everyday life to know where to land with these things and to gauge the vibe. But you're going to a concert and you know the vibe, especially like something like Harry Styles, where it's very, you know, the brand is strong. The brand is strong. It feels, it felt really escapist in a way that not a lot of things do right now that I think feels particularly important when things are harder. You know what you're saying, weddings. Mm -hmm. It does feel like weddings have been getting a little bit more like themey. I feel like there was that story in the cut a few months ago about, Mm. you know, the the, like people putting together like full Pinterest mood boards for (laughs) For weddings and like for their guests of like, here's what our vibe is. It's like (laughs) Studio 54 at Prospect Park or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And Mm -hmm. I think that there, yeah, I think that there is just something fun in that for people of being like, let's like kind of like lean in and Mm -hmm. be like a little bit like loud about it, like teen girl about it, really. I, I didn't get that until right now that that's, that's what's appealing about creating a mood board for your guests for their wedding is making it like a concert and being like, we're all going to do this fun costumey thing. Yeah. yeah. I inspired a little bit by my experience at the Harry Styles concert. I picked up this book, Everything I Need I Get From You, which is specifically about teen girl fandom. And it's by... Caitlin Tiffany, who herself is a huge One Direction fan. And she's a bit younger than us. So she was more of the age when One Direction was really having their moment. And it sort of attempts to wrap its head around this sort of eternal debate of the teen girl fan and her importance or relevance in culture. And, you know, unsurprisingly makes the claim that they're really relevant and really important. And it sort of grabs onto this argument that has been made throughout the years of like, we all sort of devalue cultural entertainment that is really embraced by teen girls because we are like, well, they're young girls. And so how, you know, if they love it, it must not be important. It must not have worth or value and must not be good, which is problematic on so many levels. And the book is interesting. It makes two points that I found really compelling. One that I found particularly helpful in understanding my own relationship to fandom, which is that For her, for the writer, and for a lot of the people she talks to, it's a reasonably healthy outlet to work out your shit. It's like of all the things you can turn to when you're going through something hard, engaging really passionately or in a really dedicated way with fandom is a decent way to distract yourself, numb yourself, or even just find community. Like there's one of the things that she gloms onto is, so in the One Direction era, Harry Styles gets photographed vomiting on the side of an LA freeway after a late night partying. And some fan puts up, goes and finds the place based on the paparazzi photo and puts up a sign that says, you know, Harry Styles vomited here. And it's, you know, dissected by everybody as like the fandom is completely out of control. And, you know, this is so weird and bizarre and creepy. And she finds the girl who put up the thing and interviewed her. And she's like, you know, I was going through a really fucking rough time in my life at that point. I had a lot of family shit going on. And that was my like, honestly, it was my stand up routine. It was like comedy to me. Like it was I was like and I think maybe the the woman who did it is a comedian or has. And she's like, yep. to me, it yep. was funny. It was like my it was my outlet. It was part of me, like figuring out what my sense of humor is. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it was play. Yeah, yeah, it was play. Yeah. And she's like, and it was weird to have it become this, you know, viral sensation or whatever. Anyway. That was an interesting point that I hadn't considered. The other thing that she talks about that I think is true, you know, or or is more widely known is that fans are responsible for shaping so much of internet culture as we know it. Like things we don't even think about, like hashtags she traces back to fandom. And that, you know, all of the sayings that we use, all the internet speak is ultimately traced back to 
fandom because fans just have always used the internet even to organize in really effective ways. And then so to sort of further that, she's basically like fans are incredibly deft at pulling off large scale organization and mobilization. And she doesn't quite say this, but I'm like, let's get them running political campaigns, basically. Like, let's get fans and sorority girls to band together and solve the climate crisis because these are like these these are the most energetic effective organizers we have it all speaks to our our love of the professional enthusiast at the end of the day yes yes mm-hmm. and just yeah and just like leaning into that and not finding shame in it and not being like i'm yeah, too old for this shit totally because it's just not fun mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's just not fun yeah <laughs> anyway is that the show think that's the show it's a show this has been a production of dear media and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen especially to our wonderful producer ali slice you can follow us on instagram at a thing or two hq and if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise email podcast at a thing or two hq.com Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two hq.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two hq.com. Hold up. 